amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. And up next, in the spinning wheel of guests, looking forward to this, uh, J. Michael Waller, author of Big Intel, How the CIA and FBI Went from Cold War Heroes to Deep State Villains. He is a senior analyst for strategy at the Center for Security Policy, president of the Georgetown Research, a political risk and private intelligence company. As far as... Uh, his his experience went well he was a cia operative i mean nobody knows the agency like somebody who has been there in the middle of it and uh, the the big tell the big intel book that he has written it's uh it's recounting the story of the rise of cold war heroics of the fbi and the american intelligence apparatus followed by its unfortunate slide into marxist influence deep state dysfunction and big intel became bad intel j Ma michael walter hello good evening my mouth's working now hey it's great to be with you yeah yeah so um first off you were in central america during just right after the cold war or how does that tell me a little bit about your experiences as a cia operative first oh right at the height of the cold war it was in the um early in president reagan's first term about halfway through his first term and the biggest threat to us at the time, apart from the Soviet strategic missile threat, was the communist expansion on our southern border, building a Soviet beachhead in Nicaragua, and then uh, Nicaragua spreading communism by uh, providing shelter for Marxist revolutionaries from the whole region. So I went down there, still starting as an undergraduate, to uh, find intelligence on exactly how the Soviets were supplying communist terrorists and guerrilla movements in the region. All right, so uh, this led to... Now, now Noriega came after this, correct? That was down in Panama, yeah. So he emerged shortly after. I, I don't remember the exact time, but he, his predecessor, Omar Torrijos, was was one of our frenemies you know he would be he would be uh, he'd work with us but he would also constantly stab us in the back and we sort of just dealt with him noriega then succeeded him all right uh, but in uh, in nicaragua who was in charge then who had the communists put up as their as their puppet so to speak that was a junta led then as today by daniel ortega yep i do remember the name uh, yeah. So it, it's still led by the same people in Nicaragua. Well, yeah, some of them have died off, uh, but now Ortega and his wife are running it as a family family dynasty, and they're lining up their son to take their place once they're gone. Uh, the, uh, the the Russian government has a an interior ministry office there for their internal affairs, so they treat Nicaragua as part of their internal affairs, and uh, they're still. They're not, they're not promoting terrorism that we know of, but they're certainly helping uh, facilitate relations with uh, Iran's uh, proxies in the region. Uh, and so they're, they're trouble for us 40 years later because we sort of walked away thinking that peace was at hand. 
Are these Central American governments, uh, particularly the, the triangle that you always hear about in relation to our southern border, are those communist influences, Marxist influences, uh, part of the uh, drive to send the worst of them to our country? Is that part of the, the mission of the Marxists who are trying to overthrow America? Well, that's part of it. So imagine you're running a, a country and you've got a huge prison system and you have a dictatorship and the court system does what you want it to do. What a great thing, but to empty your prisons of your you know, hardcore convicts and just dump them in the United States. Yeah. So that's what a lot of these countries are doing, and not just Venezuela and, and some Central American countries and elsewhere, but countries even in Africa are dumping their prisons to send to the prisoners to Panama to infiltrate them up through the Mexican border as as migrants and refugees. It's amazing. You say that once upon a time the FBI and CIA fought America's enemies at home and abroad. Now there are tools of a growing police state. And, you know, that's the other danger is the big intel becoming big brother and uh, forcing American citizens into something that doesn't even resemble a constitutional republic. Uh, the Marxist moves have also been forcing these agencies into things like DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, uh, and the pride movement and all of the transgender stuff that is so prevalent right now, the, the latest fad to take down America, I believe. And uh, that, that's part of the Marxist push as well, because, you know, you don't see communist China harping on DEI, do you? Not at all. <laughs> and nor do you see Putin doing it either. No. They, they know it's, it's destructive of their societies. And it's, uh, it, this is part of uh, DEI is, you know, a lot of people just buy into it because it sounds good. But we all, you know, we're a diverse country and we all want equality and we all want to include people. And that, that's okay. But when it's combined as a single ideology whose goal is not real, uh, democratic representation of people, but impose people based on criteria and, uh, that have nothing to do with competence or merit, and then put them in jobs where it's never enough. I mean, no matter how much you give the DEI crowd, they're going to be demanding more and more and more and more. So first it's tolerance, then it's acceptance, and now it's supremacy that they want, and they're doing it to wreck our institutions. There was never anything, for example, in Obama's 2011 executive order on diversity, equity, and inclusion. There was nothing about making these government agencies run better by imposing DEI. Never was anything said about making the CIA work better or the FBI work better by imposing DEI. It was just DEI for DEI's sake, and it was really to, to the net effect was, and that was, that was part of the goal of the of the real people imposing it was to cause resentment to so uh, infighting to so uh, demoralization among the productive people and then a sense of entitlement among the unproductive and incompetent people being brought in all in the name of the cultural revolution do you believe that when you were with the cia that the agency or i guess they did they still call it the company uh <laughs> Was it, uh, has, has it been infiltrated at all by any of this garbage yet? Well, this is how I got in, because I was never a CIA employee. Right. I was working directly for CIA Director Casey and his designee in the White House, 
as part of a private network that, that CIA Director Casey was funding out of his pocket. He was a very wealthy man, and during World War II, he was in the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services, yeah. and, and he knew then, as now, that you have to really improvise and to do things out of official channels in order to get things done. So Casey learned right as soon as he went into the CIA that the CIA could not detect Soviet support for terrorism, even though there was information, even though journalists were reporting on this and scholars. Nobody in the CIA could come to a conclusion that this was true. So he set up privately funded groups out of his pocket in secret, which I was one of the members, to find the facts for this and then to bring back the physical evidence so, so, that, it, so that President Reagan could use it, so that Congress could use it, going around the whole CIA. So we knew at the time there was a liberal bias and, and a weakness in analysis. And, you know, maybe certain people were compromised because they weren't even recognizing the obvious. But that was, so that was the beginning of understanding there was a problem. And I was just a kid. I was just an undergraduate in college. So imagine 40 years later, watching this whole thing and keeping contact with people inside the intelligence community this whole time, uh, educating them, training them. So seeing this deterioration take place, uh, it, it is really shocking. So what was bad in the early 1980s has just the bottom has fallen out of it now. Uh, J. Michael Waller, author of Big Intel, How the CIA and FBI Went from Cold War Heroes to Deep State Villains, 700 WLW. In the news today, some We're talking with J. Michael Waller, author of Big Tell, Big Intel, How the CIA and FBI Went from Cold War Heroes to Deep State Villains. And, uh, Michael, uh, the, I guess there's no more telling thing for me. Before all of the DEI stuff really started to sink in to these intelligence agencies in our country, we had people like John Brennan, a, a communist party member as the head of the CIA. How did that happen? Well, this is part of the problem. Yeah, imagine, and he's not alone. No. Right? He can't be an anomaly. He was brought in uh, as he voted for the Soviet agent running openly as a communist for president of the United States at the height of the Cold War to turn America into a Soviet republic. This was John Brennan. And then right away, just a few years later, he gets a top secret security clearance, full recruitment into the CIA, and then burrows in, like they do, marching through institutions, burrows into the CIA to ultimately rise up and run the agency. It's amazing to me that this, this could happen. But, uh, yeah. but you know, it's, it's a world of double agents and spies. What, what do people think they know about the CIA as opposed to what really goes on. I, I've always been curious. I mean, is it really, are they really spooks? I mean, are they really that dangerous? Are they that covert? Could they, uh, could they sell your, you know, could they sell you uh, a, a big truck of ice cream if you were an Eskimo? What, what are the guys like in the agency, generally? I mean, not, I'm not talking about this Marxist influence that's crept in that's, you know, been implanted into the agencies, but generally, what really goes on that you can talk about? Oh well, it's it's very mixed. Well, I I'm not telling any secrets here. I mean, it's it's 
And you have a very mixed variety of people in there. Like on the operations side, you've got some of the most courageous, most creative people you'll ever find anywhere on earth. And we all owe a lot to them. And so, so they, they, they're in there. They're doing their mission. They're the ones tracking the terrorists, targeting them, droning them, all that other stuff that needs to be done. And they're, you know, they're serving Uncle Sam and the red, white, and blue. But on the analytical side, think of, think of the Ivy League, right? Think of American universities and academia where plagiarism is okay <laughs> and genocide is relative. Sure. And, and you must adhere to a certain ideological, cultural Marxist orthodoxy in order to get ahead. Or you can't even define a, a, a woman. Right. So, oh, so now you're taking the truth, right? They're, woman is woman and man is man, but no, that's not true anymore because we're using surgery and hormones to make the different reality. So then they're synthesizing truth to make, to make untruths true. And they're not doing it in, a, in like a true lies kind of way where it's something cool and mysterious to help secure America abroad. It is to lie to each other, to lie to ourselves, and to promote lies and lying as a way to advance to the intelligence community. So once you're officially um, subscribing, as the CIA and the FBI do, to gender theory and queer theory, and the cultural Marxism that they never acknowledge, but that is absolutely manifest in all of this, these become the post-truth operating systems of the FBI and the CIA. So while it's, you've got great people in there, and, and some fine analysts too, but they're not a majority. And if you look at how the CIA has been recruiting openly, look at their advertising over the past 10 years, they're only going after woke people. Oh, yeah. They're targeting DEI people. They're targeting your rainbow flag militants. And it's not that, you know, we, we need people from all walks of life in the FBI and the CIA. We need them to understand the, the, the people and the organizations and the places that they're watching and working with. We need FBI agents to work in certain communities and to persuade juries and to prevent evidence. So that's not the issue. The issue is this forcing everyone inside to conform to this new extremist view and if you do not conform and if you do not openly advocate you are considered the source of a toxic work environment and you can't stay you can't be promoted and, and you're not welcome gosh whatever happened to meritocracy and the best people <laughs> you know big intel well huh? that's why the business community is getting rid of dei oh yeah that that's going away but let me ask you this uh j edgar hoover kept the FBI from this communist in infiltration pretty much during his reign. Give me, give me an example of a difference between somebody like J. Edgar Hoover and James Comey or Christopher Wray. Anarchists. Round them up and deport them to Russia. All that right. was his first job in the Justice Department. I think it was a terrific job. Yeah. But his whole life, from 1920 until his death in 1972, he had a consistent warning. This is how communists work. They're infiltrating our societies. They're infiltrating our government. They're infiltrating every agency. They're infiltrating the courts and the legal profession and the colleges and the law schools and the churches and the seminaries and the teaching unions and every part of culture you can imagine. Hollywood, 
journalism. We have to be watchful of them, and we have to make sure that they cannot penetrate our societies because they will infiltrate us and destroy us from within. Well, I mean, Khrushchev told us, you know, in 1960 or whatever it was, that we will crush you from within. We, we'll, we'll take over your country without ever firing a shot. I mean, that's as blatant as you can get, and that was 60-plus years ago. Right, right, and he was, he was correct. He didn't need nuclear weapons as long as he had subversion. But then these things get a life of their own, so where you have, and I trace this back in big intel, I was wondering how did it get to the point where Obama could just simply impose executive orders on DEI and everyone in the system starts adapting it and militantly pursuing it. This is something that began a hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. It began at the Marx Engels Institute in Moscow. And they, the reasoning was we cannot overthrow Western societies, Bolshevik style. We're going to have to do it by subverting their cultures, making people reject their own countries making people reject the principles of their country, the Judeo-Christian ethic or the, or the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the work ethic or the family and the nuclear family and church and all these other things, morals, make them reject everything, get them to fight against each other and turn against one another so that they believe in nothing. And when, when they believe in nothing, then, then the, the Marxists can just come right in and take over the institutions. And they do this through what another uh, communist called the Long March, like Chairman Mao's Long March in China, the Long March through the institutions. So you infiltrate and take over each labor union, each teacher's organization, you know, each, each Hollywood studio, each newspaper, whatever you can, one by one, law schools and so forth, until over a period of decades is the tipping point mm-hmm. where now they end up running the system. Big Intel, how the CIA and FBI went from Cold War heroes to deep state villains. The author, J. Michael Waller, thank you so much for your time. And I pray that there are enough people who still love this country uh, that we can take it back. There are. There are. Vote for the sheriffs this year because the sheriffs are our last line of defense. The FBI needs them at the state and local levels, and the sheriffs are the ones who can give authority to do that, and they can deny authority to do that. So work on your sheriffs and support the good ones and elect other good ones. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Mike. Good to be with you. All right. It's a nightcap on 700 WLW. And if you don't know our next guest, well, this must be your first time listening to anything ever on the radio in Cincinnati. Because this guy has been a staple. He has been a, a, a mainstay. He has been a banner carrier for great radio in Cincinnati, specifically sports, but he branches out occasionally. He also works at the Point Arc, which is a fantastic organization in northern Kentucky, and uh, he's also uh, been known to frequent Strauss tobacconists from time to time. He is also my friend, Andy Furman, the Furball, joining us once again. Hello, Andy. How are you? You should have put the my friend first because that's the most important part of it. No, I saved the best really for last. Is. You saved the best. Oh, Don't you know I, that? Didn't know that. Didn't know that. You know, it's funny because I'm, I'm almost embarrassed with the long introduction. You could bag that because I'm here just to talk. Like okay. the average man, the common man. That's all I am. And wait, wait, wait. A lot so of you're, you're going to do your Bill Cunningham impression? No, no, the please, no. Man? no, 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 I mean, the, the every man, 
called the Everyman in. But, you know, I'm going to let you uh, open it up, although I definitely have a couple of things percolating in my mind. But I want to see where you're going to go, and if I don't like it, I'll reel you back in. Well, you in. know, two days, two days after almost, I'm basking in the glow of my Kansas City Chiefs victory over the San Francisco 49ers in Las Vegas on Sunday night. It happened just as I thought it would. A miraculous come from behind at the last moment touchdown from my hero, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, to McCole Hardman, who didn't even know he was in the game and caught, <laughs> caught the game-winning catch. But it was such a great game. People, I hear people all the time just, that was a terrible game. How was that a terrible game? Overtime. How was that a terrible game, Andy? Tell me that. I and haven't heard that. I will tell you this. The first half was a little slow, but there's a lot of drama coming into that second half and the overtime kind of put the icing on the cake. And, and look, I think there's a lot of takeaways from that game. And number one, I think you could maybe make a spot not right now on Mount Rushmore for Andy Reid. There's no doubt in my oh, mind. He man. won with Donovan McNabb in Philadelphia. He's winning now in Kansas City. So definitely there's a spot there for him. And honestly, you've got to, got to say that maybe uh, right now your man Patrick Mahomes is the GOAT. Now, he is the, the best quarterback in the National Football League right now, well, hands down. And after I watched that game, I said to myself, I scratched my head as, as I read social media, and a lot of the Bengals are running on me, you know, we'll be back next year. I don't know. You know, I, I, there's a lot of questions on that Bengals team right now, and I don't think they can stay on the same field with these Kansas City Chiefs. And maybe a lot has to do with coaching. Certainly a lot is Patrick Mahomes, no doubt in my mind. But I think a lot is coaching as well, and Andy Reid is one hell of a coach. Andy, there is no question. I agree with everything you said. It'll probably be the last time in this entire conversation that I will say that. But... But I made I made the illusion last night when I was talking with our mutual good friend Wildman Walker, and I don't think it's too far off too far off the nose to say this. It reminds me a lot, two different sports, two different eras, of Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, Andy Reid, Pat, Patrick Mahomes, and the Kansas City Chiefs. It just feels the same. There's a familiarity to. This destiny in the making, this this dynasty in the making, that reminds me of those Bulls teams that won back to back to back twice, not once but twice. It seems like it it is destiny that uh, they are they are a dynasty. What do you think? Well, I think the only similarity there, you're onto something. The only similarity is that those Bull teams had MJ and a great cast of characters, and this Kansas City Chief team has. Patrick Mahomes, and a tremendous defense which basically won the game. And there's a takeaway from this game that I think that we need to discuss, which honestly I don't think anybody else has. Yeah. I think the takeaway is Travis Kelsey. Certainly, you know, a UC guy, a lot of people around town are happy for him and his brother, his family, uh, the Taylor Swift relationship. The leading, no the, leading, the leading receiver in the game, by the way, even after right. he, he caught okay. one pass for one yard in the first half, he wound up being the leading receiver in the game right, and because, therefore because the, the defensive uh linebacker was out for basically san francisco uh, to second half. but that's no no, no because because no 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 not because of that because player. because he got andy reed's attention that's why okay and i'm glad you brought that up okay no one mentioned this and everybody thought it was a big joke and i saw a picture today in one of the tabloids saying that Travis Kelsey basically was saying, whispering in Andy Reid's ear when he shoved him, he said, uh, how much I love you. That's, that's, that's the caption, okay? Here's my take on it. And maybe I'm way out in left field, and I'm sure if I am, you'll reel, reel me in, okay? I saw some anger management there. I, I, get, I get it. 
in, in, in the world of sports, there's tension, there's pressure, people explode. I, I see uh, Draymond Green do it on more than one occasion with the Golden State Warriors. It happens in the world of sports. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't particularly like it, and I don't think it's good, and I don't think it's healthy. Okay, I didn't like the fact that he pushed his coach, and I saw some comments on social media saying, uh, I would have benched the guy for the second half. You know what? I wouldn't have because why punish the rest of the team for one stupid move on one guy? But here's the problem I have. This anger management thing, can he, will we see a situation like that with him and his, quote, girlfriend, uh, Taylor Swift, one day, maybe he pushes her, maybe he smacks her. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I saw an ugly part of Travis Kelsey. Travis, I saw that. Travis Kelsey. A, no, hold on, hold on. He's a great on, player. He's a Hall of Famer. And he's an, ego, he's an egomaniac on the stage. Everybody thought it was funny with the singing of Viva Las Vegas. Come on. Really? Reel it in just a little What's bit. What's wrong with Viva bit. Las Vegas? You just won the ultimate prize in your sport for the second year in a row. Of course he's screaming Viva Las Vegas. He was playing no, no. to the crowd, Andy. That, no, no. And how he do you was assess- playing for himself. How do you- he wanted it to be bigger for him than anybody else, and you know it, and you won't admit it. I have no problem with him doing it. I'm just stating the obvious. He wanted it to be about him. That's it was, what he wanted. It was just as much about him as it was anybody else up on that stage. No, it wasn't. Because no, it he wasn't. was he was integral to the victory, Andy. Come on. Oh, really? Who caught the winning touchdown? Did he talk? Did he sing? You don't even know his name. He didn't. Who Mc, caught the winning touchdown? McCole Hardiman. You I know his name. Remember. It's my team. McCole Hardiman. I know his name. Okay. I know I know Valdez okay. Scanling. I know what, what, all the names of the Kansas City what, Chiefs. He should have what? been brought out there and given, given the, he should have been lifted to the crowd. He didn't do anything. He just was very quiet when they gave him the microphone. Today, you know, it's a team effort. We won. I'm happy. That's it. It was all about Travis Kelsey, and it always has been. I get it. That's his personality. This is Last why year he attacked the mayor of Cincinnati in, in a classless move. Well, Everybody thought it was funny. I thought it was classless. After, and you know what? If I was the mayor, I would have said something. I, I would have said, you know what? Andy, For a UC grad, I'd expect more. Andy, asshat Perval needs to be made fun of. He he really is. Really? By he's a football the, player? He's Come the on, slimiest really? politician that I've seen in a long time since Gavin Newsom, maybe. Yeah. this is What politician also, do you like besides Trump who should go to jail? What politician do you like? Whoa, 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 whoa. How, did, how is Donald Trump supposed to go to jail, Andy? Oh, he, he's, he's no good. He's not a good person. He, he hates <laughs> everybody. He's a liar. Every time he moves his lips, he lies. And you know it. But that's okay. I can't Joe Biden has been lying for, Joe Biden's been lying for 50 years. I'm not talking about Joe were, Biden. Well, you know, I'm you're talking about, about Donald Trump. Trump. So I'm, I'm giving you an... an an alternate point of view, and Donald Trump is not a liar. He's not a racist. He's not a hater. Look, let's not go down that road. Come please. on, you you went down that you went down that road. You went down that road. No, I don't want to. Well, so come on. So he's, he's making you, fun. Hold on, hold on. Of, of Andy, 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 Haley's Andy, Andy, husband. Come, hey, Mickey Haley's husband. Wait, Mickey Haley's husband left him, left her because because he didn't want to be with her. He's he's in the military. He made fun of the military a year ago. He says those people are cowards. Are you kidding me? No, Are he's you talking about he's talking about the guy? he's talking about the idiots. He's talking about the idiots in charge of the military, and they are cowards, including the current you Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. That's fine. That's fine. So I That's mean, fine. you know, come Look, on. I'm not going to change your mind. I'm not here to argue with you. 
I'm talking about Travis Kelsey I know. and what happened on Sunday, and I worry about uh, his girlfriend. I okay? love, I, just I love, see, Taylor this is Swift. the point. I love toxic masculinity, especially in the NFL. We need more of it. We don't oh, really? need more diversity, equity, and inclusion. We need men who are real men oh, who, really? are, who are loud and proud and are ready to celebrate a great victory, and that's all he was doing on that yeah, stage. And have anger management issues and, and push their coach. Real nice. So you're suggesting you're suggesting you're suggesting that you're Draymond Green. Thank goodness the commissioner suspended him for thirty you're, days. You're well, he's always been a thug. Uh, anyway, you're suggesting that uh, that Travis Kelsey is going to be guilty of abusing Taylor Swift. That's what you. I that's what that. you. Yeah, you, no, you said you were concerned said, about. I worry it. about the fact that you were concerned he has about it. Perhaps. Anger management issues. You That's know what? all I said. That that just gives her a chance to write a whole new album of songs and make more more millions of dollars. I mean, if you want to make a joke out of it and funny, you know what? I, I hope it never happens. But should he smack her when they have an, an, an attitude or push her down a flight of steps, I hate to come on this show with you and say, I told you so. I told you so. As someone. You know, look, he, he's an egotistical guy, and there's a lot of people with big egos that play professional sports. He's one of them. There are, there are a lot of people who, with big eagles who do sports talk, Andy. Mention names. Did you say me? No, I didn't I say you. Ego? I said there are many. I have an opinion. There are many people. Well, name who have, one. And they're very successful. Name one. <laughs> you want me to name names? I think Colin Coward is a big ego on Fox Sports Radio. I, I think that he thinks whatever he says he thinks is right. He's like a college lecturer, uh -huh. you know. I, I don't dislike the oh, guy. Stephen I work a, with him Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith has one of the biggest he's egos. He's a blowhard. Yes, he is. He's a blowhard. So yes, there's one. Is. I named one, Andy, that's not yeah. you. How about that? All right. Well, that's fine. I mean, <laughs> I, I think I'm a lot different than Stephen A. Smith. First of all, he's made a lot of errors, uh, statistical errors and factual errors. I don't think he prepares as much as you think he does. He's got an opinion. That's great. That's have what you, made him, I guess, popular. Andy, but I think he's a gas bag, and I think he just goes after people. He's a loudmouth. Andy, have you, ever, have you ever made an error? I certainly have, and I'll be the first to admit. Have you ever I made an error? I don't get $10 million a year to make errors. First of all, I, oh. I never had a staff on them. So yeah, it's, I it's all, it's sure all, it's all, all a, it's all a matter of what you get paid to whether you can be error-free or not in your no. mind. No, if you, may, if you make more money than someone else, you should be more of a, quote, expert in that opinion and that field than the other person. If I go to a doctor who's a surgeon who just got out of medical school, he's not going to be making a guy who's been a surgeon for 30 years. I'm going to the guy who's for 30 years. If I'm going on a plane, I'd rather see a pilot with gray hair than a guy with a beard. Okay? That's what I'm saying. There, if he's got more experience, probably being paid more, and he's probably better. There are monkeys that are probably better experts, and they're getting paid like bananas and peanuts than a lot of people I see on TV that are getting paid tons of money. The money doesn't matter, Andy. It matters. It, it matter. matters. It matters in you your get bank paid account. For, for the talent you have, the money gets paid oh, for the no, talent no, no, you no, have. No, 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 no. There are there are a lot of people making a whole lot more money than me, and I'm sorry, they're not as talented or more talented than I am. You know what? You in the minds the of list? the people who are paying, they they are. No, they are. In the minds of the people that are writing the paycheck, well, maybe, they are more talented. Than maybe you. I let, hate to say it. Maybe they let, are. Maybe That's let why the, you're not making that money. Maybe let the buyer beware. Maybe they uh, should uh, lose their jobs for that kind of mishandling of the company's money and their misjudging of talent. Could very Andy. well be. Gary, Jeff, you may be right, but all I'm saying is this. You know, don't try to co coat yourself in saying, well, I'm better than them. No, they're making more for either they, they know so much... They know someone that hired them. They are better than you, 
or they're in the right place at the right time. That's what I'm saying. They've got they've there's got, a reason why they're making more than you are. They've got there's naked, a reason why a lot of guys in the sports talk business are making more than me. They've got naked pictures. They've got leverage over the executives. Could very well be. Yeah. Maybe they're related to and, somebody. And you Maybe know, and I have, somebody. I have, I have at least an iota of integrity. I would never do something like that to leverage my talent because you know what? I I, I was told by somebody, a program director, in fact, in this building, Andy, once he said, Gary Jeff, you know, a lot of people in this building that you work with want to be somebody and i said well tell them that i've been somebody and it's not all it's cracked up to be andy and that's my philosophy i've already been to the mountaintop okay and i'm good to you i'm happy for with you. number really? one stations making lots of money and doing it now for almost 44 years on a consistent basis i feel like i'm in pretty good shape as a talent in this get business. over here i want to pat you uh, on the back come here can i give you a hug oh Let yeah me give you a hug Oh, no, you deserve it. I'm, I'm not attacking well, you. Tomorrow's Valentine's just, Day. That's sweet. Is. That's sweet. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, and you just gave me a radio hug. Yeah. This is so nice. Yes, I did. Yes. Can I have flowers, right. too? Do you agree with me? You agree with me with this, this anger management. I, I think he needs a little help. That's all I'm saying. Travis Kelsey, get a little professional. Some help. people listen. Tone it down a little. Hey, That's Andy, all I'm saying. Some people who listen to us might think we need anger management the way we go at each other sometimes. But we don't have it all the time. We only have it when we're together. On the radio, think about that. Well, maybe, we don't have a twenty-four-seven. Maybe, maybe he may Travis twenty-four-seven. Maybe Travis Kelsey only has it when he's in the biggest game of his life and he's fighting to win. He's a competitor. He's just trying to win the oh, game. I, and I the saw best, during the season, and the best, a helmet down and on the, the field, best, on best the way, best Look. way to win the game is to be in a competitor and win at all costs. And you know what? If you're the answer, which he was in the second half, then Andy Reid should have had him in on the play that Pacheco fumbled. And that's what, right, he, was, Andy that's what he was complaining about. Right. Andy, right. Andy, Andy, Andy Reid's Andy a great coach. Great coach. Hall of Fame coach, no doubt. Has, no he, doubt. Fi has he filed okay. charges against Travis Kelsey? He's, look, has he complained? I'm sure they're going to laugh about it one day. I'm sure it's gone and forgotten. There's no, no doubt in my I'm mind. I'm laughing about All it right now. Is, there's a difference between being competitive and having an anger management issue. And I see, look, Patrick Mahomes is competitive. He didn't have an anger management issue. I didn't see anybody else with an issue like that. Travis Kelsey did. Whoa, and they're all competitive. Whoa, whoa. Patrick, they're Patrick, Mo competitive. Patrick Mahomes doesn't have an anger issue problem in that game that the Chiefs lost when they were. Did he push the coach? No, but he was he was following referees of screaming in their face after the call, Andy, because he that, wanted to win. Of, he's, he's a competitor. That, that's Travis that's Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is a competitor. All he did was bump the old man, okay? That's all, yeah. So, okay, that would be like, you know, a kid in school bumping his teacher. All right, I might just say, uh, all he did was bump, you know, his girlfriend, okay? That's all he did. You know, he just bumped her. Uh, hey, she, hey, you, she just got bumped. You never know. She, you know? She, it could she, happen. She might like that. She might like to be bumped. I, I don't know. It's not my business if they're too happy together. People, no, listen. God some, bless them. That's some people, saying. some this people. Is what, this is my takeaway from the game. That's all I'm saying. This is what I saw. Well, your take, your takeaway from the game is taking us to a private relationship between Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, and you're worried for Taylor it's Swift. It's not private. No way, it's not private. Well, no, it's no. It's all over the place. But when they're and off camera. It's on TV every 10 when seconds. They're, when they're off camera and they're alone together and the lights are out, that's their business, Andy. You know, it's a Valentine's There's Day. There's no tomorrow. doubt in my mind. But you know what? When the lights are out and they're alone together and he shoves her, that will be everybody's business because everybody will know. What's the, what's the difference? What's the difference between assault and a simple shove or a bump? Okay, well, I'm saying this: say they're together and they get into a big argument, and the next thing you know, you see Taylor Swift with a black eye, 
Is that is that private? Again, I'm, I'm, that's, I'm just that's, asking, I'm throwing a scenario that's, out. There. That's and, all I'm saying. Andy, you're you're missing the point that if Taylor Swift has a black eye, courtesy of Travis Kelsey, that's that's good for a lawsuit and probably two albums worth of material for Taylor. She'll make more money. <laughs> two albums <laughs> to you. Two Listen albums to you. I'm seriously. What do you think of Usher? What they I think of Usher? Think Usher was the best halftime show. The best halftime show ever. Uh, I, That's what they're saying. I don't. I don't watch the halftime shows. I did see a little bit. There I, was I a, didn't see much. There was of a guy. Either. There was a guy from Cincinnati who was up on that stage with Usher roller on roller skating, and turned a backflip. I know. He almost hit Will I Am great. in the head with his skates. It was great. It I was great. It, it, it really was. You know, I don't what? understand why my wife is such a big Usher fan. She just loved it. I just took a little break at halftime. That's what I did. I went back and started running some more leathers. Well, you know, you're talking to me. She's probably thinking about Usher right now, Andy. You you might want to oh go. You might want to go put out that fire. No, she, basically, she's on her phone looking at the halftime show again. <laughs> right, Andy. Remember, you can't spell Furman without F U. Got cabin fever? We've got the cure. The Ford 69th Annual Indianapolis Boat Sport and Travel Show, February 16th through 18th and 21st through. It is the Nightcap on 700 WLW. Gary Jeff back with you. And with us in this segment is Dave Kale and former Bengal Robert Jackson. We're talking about Autism Rocks and a very, very special event that is just ahead. We're just days away from the next big Autism Rocks fundraiser. It's a unique organization and it's a needed organization. Any parent who has an autistic child and there are more than there should be probably in this country, can tell you that any kind of assistance that they can get. Autism has some stigmas to it, and also it doesn't necessarily get the play and the press that some of these other causes do. So I'm glad that you guys are rallying around parents and people with autism once again. Dave Kale, good evening. Thank you, and uh, uh, thank you for having us on. Yeah, and uh, Robert Jackson, former Bengal, it's great to have you as well, sir. Likewise, thank you for having us. When did you play for the Bengals again, Robert? My first year was the 81 season, my rookie year. I missed that season going to the Super Bowl with a knee injury and then played up to 87, missed the 88 Super Bowl, and then came back in 89. Uh, well, uh, you know what? Uh, you didn't miss a whole lot. <laughs> the well, I, I tell I tell some of my friends when he said uh, you can blame me. I'm the one that lost the game because I didn't play. <laughs> so so it had nothing. <laughs> it, 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 had, it had nothing to do with Stanley Wilson chasing cocaine on Biscayne Boulevard. It was all Robert Jackson. Uh, you, can, you, you, you can blame it on me. I got big shoulders. <laughs> Very well. Well, tell me before we get into the event, Robert. Since this is the first time we've ever spoken. Tell me a little bit about uh, you and your background, how you got started in football, where you came out of, and uh, and how you landed with the Bengals. I started, uh, God, many, many moons ago up in Allendale, Michigan. Okay. I tell people, I tell that people that's where it started, you know, and I, and I got recruited to play in the MAC, so I chose Central Michigan, and after that I was drafted to the Bengals, and, uh, you know, had a nice career. You know, I was the 11th round draft choice and played eight years. You know, they, you know, back then, well, right now it would be a free agent or Mr. Irrelevant. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Mr. Mister Irrelevant did play in the Super Bowl. Didn't win, but did play in the Super Bowls. There are good things. Yeah, that, there are good things that come in the later rounds, Robert, and you were definitely one of them. And well, thank uh, you. 
It it is a pleasure. And eight years in the NFL. I don't care. Yes. I don't care yes. where you were drafted. If you play eight years in the NFL, that's quite an accomplishment in and of itself. Because the average yeah, the, the, the average NFL career, as you know, is very very short. There's a very small window because it's such a physically demanding sport, and a lot of people just don't make it. Uh, even yeah. e even when they've made it to the National Football League, they don't make it more than a couple of years generally. So, what what was the initial uh, spark or inspiration for you to be interested? in Autism Rocks and to become part of this, Robert? I had nothing, no knowledge of autism. And then when I met Dave, I seen him working with his son. And then we did a walkout. It was Old Coney Day. Yes, it was. And I saw parents that had kids, you know, with a disability or a special need. And I, I, I just saw a love, an unconditional love that, you know, you... Until you get in that circle and know the parents and the kids, you won't understand the the true meaning of of, of love. I mean, it's 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 just frightening the love that I that I see these parents and kids share and just want from other people, and that's been the spark and that's been the goal. And you know, we we have a program on Monday night where we we call them fit one, try to fit one more kid back into the community. You know, because Every human being has the right to be treated equally. That's that's my goal. Well, no doubt. You know, yeah, no doubt about that. And there are accommodations that we make for one another. Whether we're talking about autism or anything else, if we truly care about people, there, are, you know, people have to accommodate for me sometimes. And I'm not on the spectrum. I don't think, Dave. For you, you have uh, your autistic son. What? When did you first know that your your son was different? Well, actually, it was at his six month checkup when he was two years old, going on three years old, and um, his pediatrician had his own little ways of delivering things. So I'm, I'm in the room, and he's telling me, "Well, you know, his head size is is this, and that's." in the right percentile his weight is this and he's in the right percentile and he's going through things and then he just pops out and he goes and so by the way how long has he been autistic oh. and i went what <laughs> what is that word tell me about what you just said and my education began that day right and there there are so many different levels on the autism spectrum i mean there is profound autism and it's you know it's really a challenge, as you probably know, uh, where there's just no communication skills, you know, and it's so hard to get that person to come out and actually make themselves acknowledged. And then there, you know, people always reference Rain Man and, you know, the savant side of autism, which does exist. There's Asperger's. There's all kinds of different ranges of autism. Uh, and... Uh, I, I don't know if you can kind of explain for the listeners, uh, you know, the, the different levels of autism and the different needs that certain patients have. Well, um, Parker has what's called pervasive developmental disorder, okay. not otherwise specified. Um, there's a little bit more to his diagnosis than that, but that's basically um, the part of his brain that should have been able to develop um, 
communication between his speech. He's delayed in that. Um, right. Most of his struggles are with enunciation. Um, but he, he works every day trying to get better at his enunciation. He's in speech therapy and he's in, um, a therapy that, um, kind of integrates his, um, um, skills as far as, uh, social skills. And he's part of, uh, Robert's Fit One program as well. Um, I would say he's probably delayed maybe half his actual age. He, he's, um, going to be 19 here in March, and he's probably delayed to the point where he's probably more like a 10-year-old, 11-year-old um, on some things. On other things, he's very mature. Um, he has some sensory integration with uh, foods as far as texture, so there's certain things that he won't accept to eat. Mm -hmm. um, we're working with him in, in food therapy through Applied Behavioral Services. That's one of his speech places, or his therapy places. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of work. We we probably do um, five or six therapy sessions each week. Wow. Um, and then, of course, working out at FitWorks when we can get them up there to see Robert. Well, uh, the Autism Rocks uh, thing that's that's going on here, now, when's the next event, guys? It's coming Go up ahead. this Sunday. Yeah. Where, where? Go ahead, Robert. Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> well, it's coming up this Sunday, February. I, I just didn't want to step on him, too. No, uh, it's coming up this Sunday, February the 18th, at Fretboard Brewing Company. Um, we have um, the doors opening at 11 o'clock to the general public. Um, we're going to start first band at noon. That would be Deja Vu. Then 1 o'clock, Marsha Brady. Then at 2 o'clock, Gina and Johnny band. And then at 3 o'clock, Denim Deluxe. And then at 4 o'clock, Dangerous Jim and the Slims. And then at 5 o'clock would be Sweet Sister Mercy. Now, plugged in to that, also, we have a special guest, Braden Raymer, who's known in the Cincinnati music scene. Um, he's going to do a song or two with Marsha Brady and possibly even with uh, Denim Rock. So we've got a real full lineup for everybody as far as the music goes. Cool. And I know that uh, Elliot Sloan of Blessed Union of Souls is involved in this effort as well. Is that correct? Yes, uh, we recently did um, have a conversation with Ellie. You know, um, I've been doing this, this will be 15 years. And um, after doing it so long, something so long, you kind of get stuck in the same tread, the same path. Yeah. And I was, I've been talking with Elliot for a while. We, he did an event for us back in 2017. We called it uh, Rocking for iPads. And we've been chatting for a while. And I said to him, uh, would you be willing to come on as an advisor? Uh, I'd like you come to Autism Rocks 15, just observe what we do. Meet the people that come to the event, see every, everything that goes on, and then afterward, let's sit down and have a conversation about what you witnessed and where you think we might be able to make some improvements and some changes in the years to come to make it a little bit better. Yeah. Um, like I said, if everybody just went by my ideas, we'd be stuck doing the same thing. I want to make sure that we evolve with this. I got you. Dave Kale, Robert Jackson, Autism Rocks. It's coming up this coming Sunday at Fretboard Brewery. Again, give the location if people don't know, Dave. It's at 5800 Creek Road, Blue Ash, Ohio. And if they need any more information, it's on our Facebook page. We have an event page called Parker's Autism Rocks 15. We have our page, which is Autism Rocks Cincinnati. And then we've recently opened our own website. It's... Uh, autismrocks 
Cincy with a Y dot org. Robert Jackson, an honor to speak to you. Uh, and hopefully, uh, maybe, maybe we can have a chance to sit down and talk uh, some football again sometime. But uh, it's... oh, that, that either, we we can sit down or we can go play golf and talk football. You know. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, I'll be I'll be happy to caddy for you. <laughs> oh no! You got to play. I got to have somebody I can beat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll bring my good friend Charles Barkley with me. I'm sure that that'll be. <laughs> oh, oh, that bad swinging dude. <laughs> Dave, Dave Kale, thank you so much. Robert Jackson, Autism Rocks this Sunday starting at noon, you said? Yes, we're going to open the doors at 11 starting at noon. Uh, MCs will be uh, the fat man, Ernie Brown, oh. and Perry Thacker from the Cincinnati Reds. I tell you what, Ernie is the best. Uh, I actually did a profile on Ernie on this program not too long ago after he got uh, inducted into the Northern Kentucky uh, Hall of Fame, Music Legends Hall of Fame, and he is the best. And he always is out there helping people wherever he can. He's a really, really great guy. So you got some good people involved with you, including yourself. And uh, all the best to Parker and everybody else who benefits. And what's the direct benefit charity that we're referencing here on this? Well, in the years past, we've done that. We've named one specific charity, the Cincinnati Center for Autism, um, the Autism Speaks People, um, more recently the Ken Anderson Alliance. But what we've decided to start doing is spreading it out to as many organizations as we can. So we're going to be seeking out some different organizations. We've already spoke with a couple, and we're open to people and organizations coming to us and asking us if they need some financial help. So um, that's our plan is we want to spread it out as much as we can. Well, guys, wish you wish you the best of success with that, and thank you for all of the fine work you're doing, Robert, with the uh, fit in. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's remarkable. Uh, Autism Rocks this Sunday. Dave Kale, Robert Jackson with us, and this is the Nightcap on 700 WLW. Bounce to the crowd, getting way too loud. Woo! Here comes Dale Cruz, beating the plate. Save! Way too loud. Electric, electric player. Bounce to the crowd, getting way too loud. Grand Slam, Matt McClain! On 2024 Cincinnati Reds. They close this game wide open. Way too loud. It all starts with spring training. Woo! Sending the right fielder back to the wall. Let's go! On 700 WLW. Oh! Jonathan India does it again. The home of the Reds. When you donate your car, truck, motorcycle, or RV to St. Vincent de Paul. My favorite radio disc jockey in the entire world. We did this before the first of the year, last year. Before his induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame, which he so richly deserves. And uh, now he is a member in good standing. I've never heard any, and I've been listening to the radio since I was six, seven years old, going back to 1967, 68, about when he started. And uh, I tell you what, I, I've heard them all. I've heard all the greats and his themes, his segues, and his ability to, when you listen to this guy on the radio, wow. it doesn't matter what song he's going to play, because you're you're not listening, you're listening for the songs, but you're listening to hear Pat St. John and how he is going to play those and present those songs. And uh, he is on Sirius XM 60's Gold right now on an afternoon drive. And I, I hate to confess, I occasionally will listen, like 
almost every time he's on. Uh, and I wanted to bring him in as part of my Rock and Roll Archaeology series tonight for this segment. And uh, we're focusing on the music from the Detroit area. We're in Cincinnati. Why Detroit? Well, Cincinnati has a rich uh, musical history, which we have discussed in the past. But so does Detroit, and it goes way beyond Barry Gordy and, and Motown. And I heard Pat play this song the other day. We'll start with this, and I know he's got some little cuts that we're going to play along the way. But Pat, good evening. Welcome to Rock and Roll Archaeology. And Man, what I I don't know how I, I don't know <laughs> Gary Jeff. I don't know how I can you know live up to that kind of talk. You just it, did all it, those compliments. Thank it, you. I mean, I, I all I can say is thank you. I mean, that's wow. That's crazy. No, well, you know how I feel. I I mess up your email all the time with uh, my little compliments. But I heard you play this, and this, tell me truth or not, is this a Detroit artist? Why don't you come? Why don't you come? Now that is uh, Nathaniel Mayer, the Village of Love from 19, and he is from Detroit, right, Pat? He is from Detroit, yes, indeed. And not Motown. Now, a lot of people hear a lot of people hear Detroit, and that's all they think of. But there's so much broader scope of incredible artists uh, that had nothing to do with Hitsville, USA, right? Oh yeah, well that's true. I mean, there, and and you know there are a lot of stories about Motown. Uh, one of the things years ago that I that I narrated, and I know you want to talk about you know other rock and roll. No, but no, please, Motown. anything you got. But uh, and you know there are artists that aren't not in Motown that probably should have been, like Jackie Wilson. Yeah, I mean too. even Jackie Wilson's Lonely Teardrops was, which was written by Barry Gordy. I mean, this was before Motown, and he never wound up being at Motown. And uh, and then he's got connections later. Uh, Jackie Wilson was from Detroit. But yeah. like on Higher and Higher and Whispers Getting Louder, those are the Funk Brothers oh. from Motown. But they were moonlighting, and they went down to Chicago <laughs> and cut these records for, uh, did these sessions for uh, for Jackie Wilson. Well, Pat, and then. Yeah, I was going to say Pat St. John started his radio career in Detroit, and that yeah. you're, you're from the area, and and I was born in Detroit. Born in Detroit, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, you you were going to say something else, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, the other thing, the other thing I was going to say was the uh, building Hitsville, USA, down on West Grand Boulevard in Detroit. When my mom was uh, younger, before she was married, she lived in the house next door which doesn't exist anymore, but she lived in that house that was next door to West Grand Boulevard. This is back in the uh, 30s and, and 40s, you know, before before Motown took it over. So that's like, you know, that's an amazing thing no doubt. To, uh, to, to realize. And I got a few pictures of my mom standing in front of it. And, um, you know, from back then, I mean, uh, Barry Gordy uh, bought that um, bought that property and knocked it down. But uh, many huh. years ago. So anyway, um, so you were asking me about the other. You know, uh, Detroit had an incredible um, roster of rock and roll uh, people. Oh, well, before I even get to that, Detroit radio, the Detroit radio dial was the best ever. And yeah, I hadn't been to any others, but you know, even when I went to New York and I heard that the, the New York dial, I thought this doesn't compare to Detroit. 
Yeah. <laughs> Plus, Detroit had its own music. You know, uh, as far as Motown, if there were, mm, you know, four releases by an artist uh, uh, from Motown nationally, there'd be like eight of them in Detroit, you know, <laughs> right. who, were, who were hungry for more. There were more stuff on the charts. And then on the charts in those days, you had uh, artists like the little clip that you played, Nathaniel Mayer, um, the uh, Dynamics, all kinds of uh, Detroit soul groups, not on Motown, plus the likes of Bob Seger and, uh, you know, the Amboy Dukes and uh, so yeah. many of them. Yeah, that's right, the Motor City Madman, Ted Nugent. That's right. Yeah, I thought he was mad then. <laughs> I, I think that's a lifelong proposition for Teddy. I, I, I got a quick in, uh, story for you about Ted Nugent. When I first, got, when I first got to Cincinnati, I was working uh, for the, the FM, the classic rock station, but I was also doing stuff for the other rock station, WEBN, that was in building with us. And they sent me out to Riverbend, which is the open-air amphitheater on the river, where all the acts play in the summertime. And Ted Nugent was opening up that night. I forget who the headliner was, but Ted Nugent. And they said, we got an interview for Ted Nugent backstage. Gary Jeff, you've got five minutes. And so I'm up there on the steps leading up to the stage. Ted comes down and meets me for the interview. And I said, so briefly, Ted, and he took the mic out of my hand and he talked for it. And they're telling me my ears, we got a break, we got a break. I'm going, I can't help it. I don't have the mic in my hand. Ted Nugent just yeah. kept on going. It was great. Easiest interview I ever did when he came to New York. <laughs> I know. I just, you know, hey, man, how you, like you say, he just takes over and you don't need to say a word. Um, well, my first experience with him was on, um, it was on, Thanksgiving Eve Eve in 1967, so right. November of 67, uh, I went to Southfield High School. Southfield is the, the city just north of Detroit, just okay. this side of 8 Mile. And, uh, well, there you go. There's an M&M. The M&M reference, uh, yeah. That's right. Uh, on that particular night, at my high school, because of the radio station they thought they were supporting, which was a 10-watt station where I started in Detroit, um, we had a concert in the gymnasium. And the first act was a local act called The Unrelated Segments, only popular in Detroit. I mean, real that's, rockers. You know, that's, what, that's what they call this show, The Unrelated Segments. <laughs> <laughs> well, the second act, so they were the first act. The second act was the Amboy Dukes. Ah. And, and, and then the main event, was the Who? Right. You, you yeah. told me this the last time we talked. You got the Who to play your high school. Yeah. Well, that's because they uh, they thought they were playing for a radio, a, a Detroit radio station. You know, that was uh, <laughs> a lot bigger than ten watts, which <laughs> was only about a five mile radius. Oh yeah. But they were happy to do it. They were doing stuff, trying to get you know, trying to get off the ground. They had had a couple of things. Well, they had. You know, they had my generation. They had a lot of hits. Sure. I, we were all amazed. It was three bucks, and um, uh, hosted by the jocks at CKLW, and it was just uh, it was just a blast. I've never forgotten. How could I? Well, you know, you you talked to you mentioned Bob Seger, and you can't talk about Detroit without talking about Bob Seger and his influence, <laughs> his influence on all kinds of. You know, obviously, he's influenced 
by all these great sounds around him. And then he goes on to influence the sound of the Eagles because of his friendship with Glenn Fry and, and all the other things that Bob Seger did in his illustrious career. Uh, i just play a, a little, if this will play. Technology, it's a great thing, isn't it? <laughs> Especially if we oh, learn, yeah. if we learn how to use it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I like the old school. I like old school stuff. Oh man, I do too. I, I started. I, I started earlier enough in the business that I was playing records when I for two turntables and a microphone, like Beck says in 1980 when I started at my first station. Yeah. A little taste of the Bob Seger system here. So, Pat, have you got any good Bob Seger stories for me? Well, I don't know. First of all, you mentioned Glenn Fry. You know, he's on that record. Yeah, I know. Man. But you can't pick him out. No. <laughs> so, you know, um, my Bob Seger story, the first, first time I met him was at a junior high school in, in Michigan. I think it was uh, New Baltimore, Michigan. And, uh, yeah, junior high. And I got to introduce him there. I was uh, 18, and his dressing room was the girls' uh, locker. And uh, he... <laughs> that's fair. So, you know, that, there you go. I mean, that, to me, that's, uh, that's even weirder than the who, because <laughs> um, this was a junior high, you know? Yeah. And, but that was a blast. And then several years later... Uh, I was uh, invited to a party at uh, Punch's house. Punch is his manager, still is to this day. And uh, we were over at his place, and in the kitchen, we saw Bob Seger there. There he was, and he said, I remember you. You had that You had that cool car. You had that Grand Prix white. And I couldn't believe he remembered that. Um, so that was mind-blowing. And then over the years, I've interviewed him in New York, and and uh, in um, uh, in Detroit. In fact, yeah. when I was in New York, I was flown to Detroit to do this uh, interview <laughs> with him. So there have been a lot of uh, things throughout the years. And uh, I, I once, as a record collector, when I had him on in New York, I gave him a copy of uh, the Night Moves album that was uh, made in Taiwan. Oh, how about that? Yeah, and he had never seen that before. And so that was a lot of fun. a foreign bootleg. Now tell yeah. me, tell me if you know anything about the the whole story behind Rare Earth, how they were doing the Temptations get ready around clubs in Detroit, and Barry Gordy got wind, and and their their version actually charted higher than the Temptations, I believe. And uh, didn't Barry Gordy offer them a record label if they just wouldn't cut any more Motown stuff? What was the story there? Do you know that? Well, that sounds that sounds about right to me. I know. I, I can't tell you that for some reason. I, I don't know. That that sounds very familiar. But, but that's what I've always heard is that yeah. Barry Gordy, the, the radio's playing Rare Earth's version of Get Ready and ignoring the Temptations version. And, of course, they had that long, extended jam-out version that they did. Uh, did you well, ever... It was several years later that they did Yeah, that. right. But did you ever meet those guys, Rare Earth? No, no. Never met any of the guys huh. from Rare Earth. Never did. But that's another one of those signature Detroit bands. Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Tell me about oh, them, Pat. Yeah. Well, just, uh, you know, rocking good stuff with uh, uh, Jenny Take a Ride, that first record, and Mitch is another one 
that uh, <laughs> was just was just crazy. I asked him uh, about Socket to Me Baby. I don't know if we can get too much. Socket to Me Baby uh, reportedly has a nasty word in it. Okay. And uh, and that's the way I, you know, most of us hear it. When I talked to him, I asked him about it. He said, would I, would I say a word like that? Would <laughs> I, you know, very sarcastic. Right. And said, oh, okay, that doesn't really answer it, but it does, you know, it does give me a clue that it probably is, and plus the fact that he recut it to the exact to the exact uh, uh, track, so very, and maybe they. Even, I think they probably even punched in uh, the vocal at a particular time. Every time you kiss me, hits me like a puck, like a, a, a hockey puck, uh, uh, like a hockey puck. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, anyway, there is a recut version. Uh, we play the original here. What the heck? But anyway, you can figure <laughs> out the rest of that. You said you had, you had you had a couple of little musical things you were going to spring on us. Do you have any of those available right well, now? Well, just because now you, you know you played a little bit of Ramblin' Gamblin' Man, which was his first national hit. Uh, but a couple of years before that, I mean, in Detroit, we were uh, we were we had Bob Seger on the radio starting in sixty five six yeah. early sixty six. And uh, he did stuff on Hideout Records, uh, which was uh, also the name of the, the club where he used to perform in those uh, early days. And then he was picked up by Capitol on a thing called East Side Story. But just for your listeners, how much this guy was rocking from six, in 67. This is one called Persecution Smith. Just a little bit of it. Let's hear it. He rises every morning, but he don't look at the sun. He reaches in the corner where he keeps his loaded gun. Then he checks the firing action as he's strapped to his chest. He lands an ambush for the mailman, even though it's all in jest. He did it, he's everywhere. <laughs> he's found a town of underground. Just, like, I mean, this is like a like a rock and roll preacher, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Fun. Here's another one. I oh. know we're I know we're running out of time. That's here, all right. But, uh, here's one that's by the, a local Detroit group called the Rationals, actually from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Okay. And this was a this was a big hit in Detroit. It's the first version I ever heard of this song, and the song is Respect. Aretha Franklin's Respect, which was a cover of Otis Redding's song. He yeah. wrote it. But this was the one I heard in Detroit. And like I said, this was a big hit. Heard it way before Aretha. It's the Rationals, their version of this. And it almost sounds like a different song, because this is rock and roll. Check it out. That's great. I've never heard that before. That's that's oh. super. Listen, Pat, uh, we're we're gonna have to wrap it up. But thank you for taking time oh, out of your no. busy day. You, yeah, I know, I know, I know. And by the I way, happy ha happy belated birthday. One more thing. Go ahead. Thank you. No, I was gonna say I, I had two other clips that are mind blowing. Do we have enough time for that? Well, let's play one All at right. least. 
No, nah, they, they're short. Okay. Never go. mind. We'll do it next time. Okay. Oh, that's great. I got you into it next time. This is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure so much, man. Thank you very much, and I'll be listening. You're welcome, Gary. Jeff, good to talk to you again. Uh-huh. Rock and roll archaeology with Pat St. John, Radio Hall of Famer, on the nightcap on 700 WLW. Meanwhile, in an enchanted castle, a beautiful woman named Beauty is being kept by a beast. It's not that bad. We have plenty of fun. You mean the singing candles and teapots? Wake up, stupid. That's a cartoon. Oh, I'm sorry. We listen to Eddie and Rocky. They're funny. You should see the beast's nostrils flare when he laughs. But aren't you afraid? No, I like it here. I've got Eddie and Rocky, and this girl loves a guy with a hairy chest. Eddie and Rocky, give your day a fairy tale ending eddie and rocky tomorrow afternoon at three on 700 wlw parents take your daughter to a game xavier women's basketball returns to Cintas center to play the yukon huskies for our next guest dave hatter we're always ready for hatter come on man the mad hatter the <laughs> voice of it and the internet of things world and why we should all be running for our lives as fast as we we can away from Away from the technology. Not exactly. It's Valentine's Day, and a lot of people find love online. And some people find scams online. And and sometimes the twain meet. And that's uh, been uh, of news of note lately, of course, with the Valentine's Day holiday tomorrow. If you're looking for love, the Internet may be in all the wrong places. Dave Hatter, good evening. Well, Gary, Jeff. I'm always my pleasure to be here. I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to, to warn folks about this. You know, this, uh, the, the timeliness of the Valentine's Day stuff is really important because romance scams are on the rise all year round, but, you know, they generally, generally tend to pick up around Valentine's Day. And here's a, here's a quote from an FBI report. In 2021, some 24,000 victims across the United States reported losing approximately $1 billion, that's billion with a B, to romance scams, it's likely that many more losses went unreported. So well, how, uh, that was two years ago. How is this? I mean, are people are people just so desperate to find that special someone, and they're sitting there alone in their in their bedroom or at their desk at home, and they've got their pajamas on, and they're just got so lonely, and they're just scamming or scanning through the lines, and then they get scammed to the tune of one billion dollars total. Um, Anytime I don't know someone and they ask me for money, um, my first response, no matter how desperate I am, is to give them money, Dave. Well, I think, Gary, Jeff, that's what part of what you said is true. You know, people are lonely. The pandemic has exacerbated that problem. But I think it's also a combination of more people are comfortable doing things online. There's probably more dating apps than ever. Uh, people shop online, you know, people use this stuff all the time. And I think the average person still does not realize, A, how easy it is to impersonate someone online and assume an identity that's not legit. And then, B, how easy it is for these people to steal your money. Because realistically, this boils down to sort of a, an evil brew of technology and social engineering. I can go online right now and create a fake account. And, you know, one of the best things you can do to try to defend yourself against these sorts of attacks is if you strike up a conversation with someone immediately if they have a photo if they don't have a photo to me that's a red flag but if they have a photo 
do a reverse image search on it and see if that photo shows up under other names. If it does, huge red flag that you're getting scammed. Now, that's not the only red flag, and I'll get to a few more of those in a second. But, you know, it's so easy now to set these fake accounts up. And I would remind folks, one of the reasons why you should care about your privacy, why you should not have the attitude, well, all these apps are collecting all my data. It's all out there. Anyway, why do I care? Here's why you care. Every time your data gets stolen, every time your data is aggregated with other data sets and more of it gets out there about you, it makes it easy for the bad guys to impersonate you. So could I not only take like direct nefarious action, trying to set up a, you know, loans in your name or something, but if I'm on a dating site as a scammer and I make a connection with you, can I go do what in the business is known as open source intelligence and find information about you in a data breach or even things like LinkedIn, Facebook, et cetera, and now I know how to push all the right buttons to create rapport and chemistry with you. It's just conveniently, you know, happening that I like all the same things you like. I like the same music. I like the same, you know, writers, et cetera, because all that information is out there. You know, I know that you happen to like a certain type of dog or whatever, because you either talked about it on Facebook or because that information has been leaked about you through one of these massive data breaches. My point being, it's never been easier to use open source intelligence or stolen data to figure out how to run a con on someone. So you set up a dating app, you start talking to someone, you go get in as much information about you as you can. And, you know, next thing you know, there's this magical chemistry. You found your soulmate online. And then, you know, again, huge red flag is you find that person's photo associated with someone else. But I'd also remind folks, Gary, Jeff, now thanks to AI, it's never been easier to create extremely realistic photos that aren't going to show up for someone else. And, you know, as soon as the, the conversation turns to money, especially after they've never wanted to meet in person, uh, you know, they don't want to turn on their video camera, but they'd love to come meet you if only you could pay for that plane ticket. You're getting scammed, folks. You're getting scammed. And this isn't just my opinion. Go find stories. The FBI actually has some great videos out there of people who've fallen prey to these scams and talk about it. And I think it's really important to hear from the people who it's happened to firsthand because you can see that the, the con artists involved in this will tell you any lie to get your money. They'll stoop to any level. They'll tell you any lie. So, yeah, be aware, folks. And, you know, these things always turn up in increasing frequency around this time of year. Well, I mean, if anybody, like, saw my profile pic, now I'm happily married, and I mean happily married, Krista 2.0. I know you're probably asleep in bed, but <laughs> I'm happily married. But... I mean, if if I turn my profile picture out into one of those online day, I can't imagine anyone contacting me back. Uh, <laughs> so I guess that's a safe. I, I feel the same way. It's same, a safeguard way, Jared, for yeah, me. I, usually, yeah, usually most people would just print my picture out and hang it up in like their garage or something to scare off the vermin. You know? No, I keep I, the, keep the, I, the bugs and the. I'd the use I'd use one I'd use one of those pictures that they sell with the picture frame. <laughs> yeah yeah me too again that's where your reverse image search comes in to make sure that you're not getting scanned right uh okay so good advice for the lovelorn uh, george carlin one of the the most genius comedic minds that god ever put on earth and you know he's been passed for a long time but he was popping back up sort of and the folks in charge of the George Carlin estate noticed that George was popping up. Well, it was, like, out there. And it was all AI, gen AI generated. And uh, they're suing 
the people who put out the George Carlin AI comedy bit, and they should. But this is this is really, really weird territory now because the legal world has never dealt with AI fakes and family estates. Just can you break down this story for me a little bit, Dave? Yeah, you're right. I think this this is weird territory, and it touches on several of the, the problems with AI, whether it's, you know, synthetic media slash deep fakes, which are sort of the negative connotation of synthetic media, which is the term for something that has been entirely generated by a computer, like this George Carlin thing, or it's the weird legal territory we're in, which goes in a whole number of different directions, because could you be framed for a crime using AI-generated, you know, content, perhaps? Could you be guilty of a crime and then potentially get off because AI-generated content shows that you weren't there or, you know, whatever the case may be? And we've got all these, you know, there's numerous copyright cases out there now, which gets us back to this George Carlin case. But this, this just goes to show you we are at a place now where you really can't believe anything that you see or hear because AI has progressed to the point where you can generate extremely realistic photos, extremely realistic videos, extremely realistic audio. And in this particular case, some guys took, you know, I, first off, I agree with you. I think George Carlin was one of the greatest comedians of all time. I thought he was extremely funny. And obviously he did this for a very, very long time. So uh, there's a lot of content out there. I can remember watching, you know, special, George Carlin specials on HBO back in the day. So the people behind this took all of this content, framed an AI model on it, and then produced a, a quote, special, quote, unquote, um, called George Carlin, Glad I'm Dead. It's all completely you know, synthetic media, completely entirely generated by AI, trained on George Carlin's original material. Now, if you've watched any of it, I didn't find it that funny or that compelling. I mean, yeah, it kind of sounds like him. Yeah, it looks like him. It's not nearly as funny, I think, as George Carlin. But it does go to show you sort of the state of the art of this stuff now. It's, it's pretty good if you didn't know it was a deep fake or that this sort of deep fake type technology existed. You might be fooled. But I think it also shows, again, where we're heading into all these weird territories of, A, there's no law that prevents something like this. You know, so they're going down the copyright angle to try to shut this thing down. And I understand their concerns. You know, this is potentially going to take away from money that could be generated, you know, through his estate. Um, it, it's it's kind of crazy and just shows you where we're at with this and that this is a total wild west in terms of where what this technology is capable of and where we're headed. So uh, it certainly bears watching. I'm really curious to see where it goes in the courts. I had the AM-FM album when I was a uh, young teen, a George Carlin, Big Radio Wino, and Bing Bong, five, five, the hippy-dippy weatherman. I just can't see a computer doing a better job. I just can't. Well, the, the seven words you can't say on the, TV. Yes. I mean, that guy just had some... Hey, guess what, Dave, Dave? Dave, guess what? We, we can't say what? them here either. <laughs> I, I fully understand that, Gary. Jeff. As soon as, as soon as you went there, they're they're rattling off in my brain, going, "No, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it." Uh, no, George Carlin, brilliant, and AI deep fakes. Uh, again, this legal challenge will be interesting to watch because if the courts rule in the estate's favor, then that'll put the kibosh on a lot of this. Uh, if I it, think it, it might if, absolutely, or uh, at least. 
I don't know that it'll shut it down, but it's certainly going to put a dent in any legal uh, use of it in this form. And if it rules in favor of the AI generators, then we're all screwed. I mean, it's, it's going to be really, really interesting for sure to see where this, this particular story goes. Macy's is being sued over facial wreck that led to jail. And, and you got to explain this story because if it was somebody who was shoplifting in Macy's and it led to them being arrested, well, good. That's that's a plus for everyone who gets sick of seeing people shoplift ad nauseum and not be arrested or prosecuted on the back end. But uh, tell me about this story. Well, you know, this is an interesting story. Um, so this is from the Washington Post. Man sues Macy's saying false facial facial recognition match led to jail assault. Uh, case adds to a growing number of wrongful facial recognition arrests and further highlights the dangers of the technology's use in law enforcement. And, you know, we, Gary, Jeff, have talked many times about issues with facial recognition and that the technology just really isn't there. This appears to me, from what I can tell from what's been publicly reported, another example of that where, you know, you go into most stores now, there are cameras everywhere. In fact, you'll appreciate this because you know me pretty well. Yeah. If you haven't been, if you've been in any Kroger stores recently, uh, you may notice, or at least the ones I've been in, have cameras everywhere, including monitors that show you on the monitor telling you you're under surveillance. Oh yeah, yeah. And, every, uh, in fact, I will be, uh, I will be going there early in the morning to get my wife the daisies that I forgot to pick up today, and uh, and yeah, I, I go to the self checkout and it's like recording in progress, and there I see that. That ugly face, and I go, oh, yeah, and I, and I usually smile or make some weird face in it on purpose. But anyway, I, go ahead. I, I do, too, Gary, Jeff. And, in fact, what I normally do if I can remember in advance, like if my wife wants me to go to the store with her, I have a shirt that has, like, two evil-looking big brother eyes on it, and it says, Orwell was right. Huh. And huh. I like to wear that to Kroger, and then as I walk by their cameras, I just point at it each time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, send a, send a little message to Big Brother, you know. Yeah, so, there, there it is. Uh, the, the, the point being, though, you know, I understand and I agree with you. You know, shoplifting costs us all money, right? The prices go up. It leads to inflation because it, stores generally have a very small margin to begin with. If you have rampant shoplifting, those prices are just passed on to us. So I understand why stores, you know, want to have all this video surveillance. But this facial recognition technology just shows time and time again it's not ready for prime time. And in this particular case, you know, it was used to identify a guy who got arrested and went to jail and then was assaulted in jail. You know, again, it's, it's one thing to have someone on tape and then for the police to do, you know, sort of standard old school police work to identify someone and go arrest him. It's another thing altogether to assume this technology is actually capable of identifying people with a high degree of certainty, which it shows time and time again that it's not. Uh, and it's got issues with bias and all kinds of other problems. But, yeah, ultimately, this is just another prime example of why uh, I don't believe it's ready for prime time. And we, we should not be relying on it in the legal system because it's frequently wrong and people are being falsely arrested. I don't know. Yeah, it's not good. Just a real quick aside, and you can comment on it if if you want. You, nothing you sent me that we talked about discussing, but did you see the article in the paper over the weekend? 
that the new state-of-the-art $700,000 smart toilet that they installed in downtown Columbus <laughs> doesn't work in the cold. Did no, you... I did not see that. Uh, I'll have to look that up because I remember you and I talking about the smart toilet last, last time, week. And yeah. I, it just, it's so insane that, you know, why in the world do you need a smart toilet? And, you know, what, what could go wrong from that? Well, uh, everything. Yeah, there's there's no chance I'm going to be buying or using a smart toilet. That's just ridiculous. It was in the Inquirer this past Saturday. The headline, Downtown Columbus, $700,000 toilets don't work in the cold. So, wait till the weather... <laughs> Wait, wow. till, wait till the weather gets warmer if you're traveling to Columbus uh, because you want to use the new state-of-the-art $700,000 toilets. I, I would wait till it gets above freezing on a consistent basis, Dave, for that. It's just so ridiculous. A $700,000 toilet. You could put in a lot of toilets for $700,000. Oh, there's no, and, uh, there's yeah, no question. None of them are going to, you know ruin your privacy. None of them are going to post pictures of you on the internet. None of them are going to become part of a botnet attack or, you know, I could go on and on. It's just ludicrous. Well, it's a waste of taxpayers' dollars. With one minute left, Dave Hatter, let's talk about QR codes and how you should be very careful where and when you scan a QR code. Yeah, Gary Jeff. Stories keep showing up in the news of people being scammed out of substantial amounts of money thanks to QR codes. I would just remind folks, since we don't have a lot of time, you know, it's easy as a, for a criminal to walk up to a, something like a parking meter or any place where you may have used a QR code in the past, cover the existing QR code with a QR code of their design. There's no way you can look at it by the naked eye and know it's malicious. And once you scan it, it could A, download malware to your device, B, take you to a site where they steal your credentials, which is then used to steal your money. There's a, a well-known case here recently where a woman in England had 13,000 pounds stolen wow. in a scam like this. So, yeah, I would, I, again, I hate to be the tinfoil hat guy, but I can tell you I'm not scanning any QR codes in public. I'm just not going to do it because there's too much risk, and these attacks keep rising because the bad guys know it's an easy way for them to scam people, and average people do not realize that any QR code you see could be malicious. So, yeah, just don't scan them. Dave Hatter, thank you. Happy Valentine's Day. Hey, happy Fat Tuesday. <laughs> hey, always my pleasure, Gary Jeff. Happy Fat Tuesday to you and all your listeners, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right, hope you find a baby in your king cake. It's Nightcap. We continue. Cold weather has arrived in Cincinnati. Vonderhaar Fireplace wants you to be safe this winter and recommends having your